with more time in the field, it became very clear, it's about the attitude inside my head yeah. of how do I feel about being somebody who's different than others. Low vision is a part of me, and as one of the students on a video I've seen said, you know, but it's about the boringest part of me. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. As a teacher of students with visual impairment, I sometimes struggled when serving students who had low vision. They can be hard to identify as they are so good at appearing to adapt to their environment and their classroom. They sometimes don't even know themselves how much visual information they can be missing. In this episode, Dr. Cindy Bakafer from TSBVI Outreach speaks to this population, and you'll want to stay tuned all the way through the end to hear from one of our very own students, Ray Garza. I was an English teacher. Oh. I taught at both the middle school, high school, and then community college level. Wow. And I had lost vision in my left eye and mm -hmm. really struggling with, because it, it was late 80s or no, early 90s by then, mm -hmm. where not everybody was using computers. Right. And trying to read students' handwriting. I don't think I had a CC TV until maybe a couple years into teaching, and it just it became too hard and yeah. I did the little bit of bouncing around and job searching and not knowing what to do with my life yeah and like I said fell into the field I had I think as we know from many people yeah. in our profession of yeah I didn't expect to be doing this either right but <laughs> well most of us do that and then we kind of get in and start teaching and that kind of thing but you jumped in and decided hey I think I'll get a doctorate too so uh, do you mind sharing about your research and what your, your dissertation was on? Yep. Through the work with Project PAVE, we see over 100 students each year. So wow. we were doing clinics and there were three teachers generally. Sometimes we had another half-time position. But going out across the state of Tennessee and you might work with a student for two years mm -hmm. on routine it was largely about use of optical devices, but it was also about developing strategies okay. and developing confidence in myself. And how do I talk about my low vision self-identity? So when I say comprehensive low vision services, we are known for the devices, part of it but did more. And that nagging question just kept coming up, you know, five years down the road. Mm -hmm is the student still finding value in using those devices? And once I started uh, the doctorate program, one of the pieces of advice is it better be a favorite topic because you're going to spend a lot of time yeah. working on this. That's, that's good advice. So I knew uh, that was a good match for me. And through the proposal of doing the study, I developed a uh, phone interview Mm -hmm. It had 82 questions, I remember. Wow. And people saying, yeah, good luck with that, getting somebody <laughs> to complete it. And the first person I got in the pilot study, because I had needed to find participants who were now older, mm -hmm. he literally said, what took you so long to call? <laughs> and I, I thought, okay, this is one of those instances where I could not have scripted it that yeah. well. Because these students, well, they were young adults by then. Right really wanted to talk about the experience, the, the frustrations, 
in having low vision, in not liking devices, in figuring out maybe this device can work for me in this instance, yeah. in just developing a, I like who I am mm -hmm. sense. And so the phone interview let them do that because we talked about uh, functioning. Right. What tasks are you completing? How is the device effective for you? And for me, the bigger part of it, and I knew this as a person who had grown up with low vision, right. and we just didn't talk about it because yeah. I was living in kind of, I think, an age where I didn't get services in school because I was very academic. I did well, but there was so often a sense of inferiority mm. that I know, um, and I've talked with others about how I recognize later how I internalize that. Yeah. And that's the part that we don't see in mm -hmm. low vision kids because they're going to mask that. And right. they may not know how deeply this is affecting me. Right. So for me, the psychosocial part of and when we, you know, we're talking about being a device user, how confident do you feel? Yeah. How socially acceptable does mm -hmm. this feel? How independent do you feel? So we had four constructs for the psychosocial okay. aspect. Um, so I finally was able to get the number of uh, participants that I needed, mm -hmm. and it, it's an incredible process of it's terrifying mm -hmm. and it's exhilarating mm -hmm. to be doing a project because I could find no other studies that looked at, as for young people, long-term use and then uh, doing a follow-up with right. you received instruction on this device and how is it working for you? Yeah. So it was, um, they, you know, I have wonderful friends that came out of that era um, and it taught me a lot about, you know, looking at a question and thinking about what do we know about that? Yeah. How, how do we learn more mm -hmm. about that? Yeah. So. Well, I think those of us that work with kids with low vision understand that it's, they're very complicated. And um, that's not an easy thing to realize at first. You think, oh, well, they're just low vision, you know, it, they, how hard can they yeah, be? Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll honestly say they've been some of my toughest kids to figure out. You know, especially when you introduce a device or talk about what accommodations you need and then they absolutely refuse to engage with those tools. There's a lot of resistance. Yeah. Um, and I, we've, you know, used the phrase lately of that the, their staff, their TBI and comms, we get to be detectives because mm -hmm. you've got to dig in and dis, you know, discover what's going on um, and getting that student to trust you to open up. Yeah. Because that's it, and that's not true for all students. Some right. of the low vision students, they'll talk for an hour sure. about their low vision. Yeah. But generally, the ones in programs I've worked with, it's kind of that crossed arms and locked down. Yeah. This is personal, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to open up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you mentioned this a little bit already, but do you think there's other reasons it's really important to have a focus on low vision as it pertains to education? I think there are a number um, of reasons we had kind of alluded to a minute ago about um, the students resisting and that struggle yeah. to pass. Yeah. And I can strongly remember that in my teen years and my 20s. Um, and even later into my 30s because I didn't know about yeah. tools. And it's breaking through that armor. Teachers have such heavy caseloads mm -hmm. that taking the time, it's a different way of using the time yeah. 
yeah. to work with a student, I think. It may not always feel like a lesson, right. but I think it's about that student being willing to, I'm going to talk more mm -hmm. about the low vision yeah. issues or my concerns or my fears. I think another reason is we have so many students with low vision, mm -hmm. it, based on the data, sure. about 85%. And when I proposed the position for campus, that yeah. was a big part of this feels legitimate because right. there are so many of them. And it can be a kid who has 2080 vision, mm -hmm. which is really usable vision, mm -hmm. but a lot of those students, depending on the family background, depending on their own attitudes, how they feel about themselves, I'm blind. Yeah. And it's, well, let's talk about that word a little more, you right. know, and helping them even more to understand that continuum of low vision. So I think that with so many students, there there's a lot of work to do there. When a that student struggles to pass and leave me alone and they get out of school, 18, 19, 20 years old, mm -hmm. and are devastated at, I don't know how to manage my life. Yeah. That the effects of not getting that critical direct service mm -hmm. is a lifelong impact. Mm. And I think those are why it is essential that yeah. we spend the detective time on those kids. You mentioned the word pass a couple times, and some people that aren't in our field might hear that and think, oh, they want to pass uh, their grades or whatever. Can you define that a little bit more? I'm faking it as I, I don't have low vision. I see what I need to see. I got this. Okay. And they don't know what they're not seeing. You know, they're 12 years old. Yeah. Or what do they know about I got this? Yeah. Because they're young and don't have a sense of, you know, in six years they're going to be out of school yeah. and developing those skills to, I know how to manage my technology. I know how to talk to a potential employer about my visual impairment and how I manage tasks mm -hmm. and getting that started early, I just essential because then it's not such a power struggle yeah. in middle and high school. Yeah. The first event you shared with me this year uh, was called Low Vision on the Road. Tell us about that. It's been a blast of a program to work with. Um, we did the first one in fall of 2008. I was just new on mm -hmm. campus. And Debbie Lauder in Region 15 said, I want you to bring down a day of activities for, we're gonna get some low vision kids together. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and it was, I can design this. Yeah, that's great. So it's, uh, we've been able to do it in a couple of other regions, and essentially it's contacting an ESC, mm -hmm. uh, one of the regional centers will say, can you bring down a program? Okay, we want to decide the age group of the kids. I think we get much more maximum use of the time when we do an uh, age-focused program, either elementary or oh. secondary. All right. When you mix them, it can, there's too many other needs going on. And then to customize the activities to that region. Like when we were able to do one in Region 9 in Wichita Falls, for example, they have a fabulous um, nature center, Riverbend Nature Center, okay. that you know, you're able to use a telescope to study um, the lizards and the snakes in the <laughs> tank or to look out and uh, they have a bird house and finding those animals because you know it's a nature center we have a better chance of yeah. being able to spot those so we start in the um, regional center get to know the students a little bit they get to know them you know the kids in their group mm -hmm. because as we know across the state most of the students they're the only one in their school 
Yeah. And they may not know that there's another student who's 50 miles away. Focus of the day that the staff generally get to remind me is, Cindy, this is about social too. Yeah. And that's great <laughs> because watching that dynamic develop with the kids. Yeah. So we'll do activities in the mm -hmm. ESC and then get out in the community whether it's a grocery store or some kind of a department store where mm -hmm. there are both distance and near tasks. Asking the students to, so you're 18, 19 years old mm -hmm. and shopping on your own and maybe you need to meet transportation in half an hour and yeah. you've got to get three things. The tools can help you do that or you having developed your strategies to get around that store mm -hmm. and to see the information that I need to see. So yeah. we try to put it, you know, this is a real life situation. Mm -hmm. And then we come back to this uh, ESC and kind of do a 15 minutes of how to go. Let's talk about <laughs> it. What'd you think? What yeah. was your takeaway? Their, their reactions can vary a great deal, but a number of them will come in with crossed arms at oh, the beginning really? of the day. Oh, okay. oh yeah. <laughs> and not as, not as tightly crossed yeah. at the end. It huh. just helped bring that barrier down mm -hmm. a little bit. That seems like one of the positive benefits that you see with the kids that participate. Do you see any other positive benefits? That social connection okay. of, again, being able to meet somebody like me when, yeah. when you're able to bring that low vision group together. Um, and some of the students will have that, oh, I didn't know, you know, a telescope could do that for me. Oh. You know, could, um, I give the example of, I like pastry, yeah. <laughs> and a pastry case often has the labels for the items a ways back into the case. Oh, and we think of a telescope as its far distance. Right. Reading those pastry labels when a staff person behind the counter isn't able to do it, that's very important to me. Right. <laughs> so you can set the telescope on a short distance, a mid-range, okay. and be able to read those for yourself. Yeah. But the willingness to well, people are going to look at me as I do that, right. and it's, you know, but it's a tool. Right. It's a tool like eyeglasses. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you get to decide what's important to you. Right. So that and the, I think kind of what surprised me from the teachers who've participated, because the teachers are a part of this program with the TVI or the comms with their student. Mm -hmm. They go through these activities together as a team. And a idea. couple of teachers coming out after the day, wow, I did not expect that. <laughs> I really got to know this, my kid. Oh. I didn't know these things about him, or I didn't know where the roadblocks were. Right. You know, and I, I was thinking of, yeah, yeah, you know, the kids, when, it, when you get a group together, there's that positive social connection. But for the staff to say, it was worth giving up my schedule that day to have this much contact time with seeing how my student interacted and what worked, what didn't work. Mm -hmm. So those have been What a bonus that is. It That's was. huge. So if a district in Texas wants to come out and offer, wants you to come out and offer low vision on the road, how do they make that request? They contact me okay. and we can, there's a form that we fill in on the outreach page that's that request for service. It's on the left side drop down yep. menus and under trainings and in service, they can enter the low vision on the road program, my name, and then that gets routed to me that's as great. a program. I know another popular event is the low vision conference. We have an organizing committee uh -huh. that puts these together. 
And we've seen such a positive response across the state from the first year. And I think it goes back to that, um, why is it important to focus on the topic of low vision? Because we don't have the research, there are so many students, the low vision conference gives an opportunity to for a whole day, yeah. we're going to look at, um, we have a different theme each year. Oh, great. Our, our focus this year is navigating services for students with reading disabilities, and that's going to include that's dyslexia. Great. And we're really excited about this that conference. We have um, great speakers lined up. Previously, we've been able to do um, supporting students with albinism mm-hmm. and students with progressive vision loss, and then we had looked at the uh, academic student with low vision and then the functional academic student. So the themes each year have varied, but we've really had a solid attendance with um, people responding to the topics are uh, valuable. Is it just one day? Is it a two-day event? So far, our scheduling has been when we do it in Austin, Mm -hmm. it's at uh, TSBVI in May. Okay. And then we've also been able to t- do an on-the-road model oh. of some of the conferences. So again, somebody could do a, uh, through the outreach page, mm-hmm. request for service, okay. training, and we, on some of those models, we've been able to take it on the road. And, and so that lets more people within a particular region be mm-hmm. able to attend. That's probably a pretty big deal in Texas because it's so big. I know a lot of people can't get to Austin, so it's great that you offer it outside of here as well. The committee is just really motivated with raising awareness and increasing the understanding of students with low vision. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest challenges for students with low vision, and how do you think educators can best support them? I think developing that Mm self-confidence. I always used to, you know, we need to do instruction and it's about developing skills and with more time in the field it became very clear it's about the attitude inside my head of how do I feel about being somebody who's different than others Mm -hmm. and because there are so many visual tasks throughout our day when I have an odd head tilt or I have to get closer to something or I use a tool that looks different can always feel like you're in the aquarium getting examined, people looking at you. So I think it's that, uh, yeah, um, low vision is a part of me. And as one of the students on a video I've seen said, you know, but it's about the boringest part of me. (laughs) There is so much else that's interesting about me. And I think that's true. If once it's just, it's an aspect of me and there are ways that I can complete the same tasks and do this, the same uh, opportunities as others and be independent. And there's guidance for developing that. It's it's positive Mm self-esteem, you know, and there are different curriculum and different Uh, We all have a different comfort level of, I think, how we approach a student with that. But being willing to get into that conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, how are you feeling today about it? It's there are different ways of doing that. And I think the second one is helping students be really honest Mm -hmm. about how am I using my eyes? How do I access information I need? How Mm -hmm. much do I depend on others? What are goals I would have of getting better at using my tools or developing strategies so I can do that independently? And whether through an inventory or a checklist, let's go through your day 
I think using talking about long-range planning and mm -hmm. long long-term goals of I want to get better at that yeah and a lot of times I will say to students I get it using the tools in the classroom is pretty boring yeah you know, looking at a page in a book or looking at the whiteboard as we constantly use those examples I would much rather we had the Harvard Corral on campus here last week oh what oh okay um, like a choir they were yeah okay. from Boston wow. and I you know why 92 members of oh the gosh. campus from Boston came and sang for us amazing. but I wouldn't didn't know younger when I was younger um, it's fascinating watching the faces of the singers because you think right. singing is music. I listen with my ears. Yeah. But some of those singers were so animated mm -hmm. in their expression of the music mm -hmm. and watching a conductor on stage. That person has a lot of energy going yeah. into that music. And it's, it's an incredibly enriching facet mm -hmm. of going to a concert when you're aware of that. Yeah. And um, part of my role is encouraging and supporting students to use optical devices. Right. But just like students out in the state, they're developing that habit is a long process. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I was very glad that I w had my telescope mm -hmm. to be able to watch the musicians and be able to talk about students later mm -hmm. as, as an example. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think helping them assess the visual needs, the visual mm -hmm. tasks in their day, and then looking at their own, how, what's my visual efficiency? Right. How well am I doing this? I right. think those are two very important parts for yeah, teachers. And, and you probably hit on this quite a bit, you know, finding their, their specific interests so that they're engaged to use their devices, you know, or them talking about future careers and saying, oh, how, tell me how you're going to do that. You know, how do you think you're going to access and I, your software or whatever? Because we know the students can put up walls yeah. that finding the hook mm -hmm. for that student. What, because algebra or physics class may not be that interesting, right. but <laughs> what is it that after school interests me that has a visual component of it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's still one of the panelists in our first low vision conference had the line, I'm not going to open up to you mm -hmm. if you don't spend time getting to know me. Yeah. And it's that, it's a different way of doing a lesson, mm -hmm. I think, than direct on skill. Right. It's getting that student to open up about things they want to see. Finally, do you have a favorite resource or resources for families to go to surrounding advice for low vision children? There are two that I've, when it comes across my screen, I almost always open it up when mm -hmm. a new topic is there. And I think the paths to literacy and the, okay. as well paths to technology, mm -hmm. because they are short pieces and it's easy to search, Okay. I can enter in the the there's a drop-down list yeah. that you can go into the categories, but you can also do a search. Mm -hmm. So just, I'll get myself every week knowing I'm going to get posts mm -hmm. and just look at, does this one fall into my interest level? And getting more familiar with the mm -hmm. site so then I can search. And one that had just come across my desk yesterday, um, it's, the title is a little different, Veronica, the name Veronica with four eyes in it. Okay. And then she spells out Veronica with four 
F-O-U-R-I's, E-Y-E-S. Oh. And she is a young blogger that I met last year. And I've been going through, looking around on that site yesterday, found it very readable, very practical, and she is a user of technology. Oh, that's, that's even better. So it's very, uh, she has a lot of links that when you're reading something and she'll, related topic, oh, I am interested okay. in that. So you keep going deeper and deeper yeah. into it. So yeah. I think as a book resource, right. whether for families or teachers, I still pull out regularly the Looking to Learn. It's that red book from, oh, yeah. it's now getting close to 20 years old. Oh, wow. But it is still, I think, accurate and very readable. Mm -hmm. it talks about the low vision exam, talks about activities for using magnifiers or monoculars, mm -hmm. uh, CCTV, psychosocial aspects. So I think it covers all of those, the pertinent topics that when we're working with students keep coming up. Did that one come out initially through AFB, AFB Press? It so is. Mm -hmm. Now APH Press, I guess, is where that sits. And so you could probably find it on Amazon. That's where a lot of their books you can. are now. And it's, it's getting on 20 years old now. Oh. I think there's a lot of um, value, a lot of good information yeah. in that book. Great. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. After hearing from Cindy, I had to get a student with low vision into the studio to share their expertise. I interrupted Ray Garza's day only briefly to have him speak to the devices he uses and give some advice to help students like him be successful. I lost my right eye in 2010. Uh, in between 2012 and 13, I lost some vision in my left eye and I've been low vision ever since. I'm in 11th grade. It's really crazy to think that when it comes to low vision, there's not just like a few different varying levels, there's like a whole bunch of different levels. And there, there's like the general fields you can place everyone in. Even in those general fields, every individual one has a different accommodation. When I was like 13 and I was trying to explain it and I'd be like, oh, I see blurry. And that's not very helpful because it's like, <laughs> well, yeah, if, if someone wears glasses, they'll just like, I can just take off my glasses and that's blurry. It's like, well, okay then. So I've learned to explain things like I can see shapes from this distance, mm -hmm. but like the edges of them will yeah. be slightly blurry and if uh, two colors are too similar, they'll kind of blend together and I'll only see maybe one or the other. When I first had a cane, I had a non-foldable cane mm -hmm. and I hated it because at the time I was barely getting introduced to being blind and my world being opened up yeah. to all these um, new accessibilities. Yeah. So when they were like, here, have a cane, I was like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> and then later I got an, a foldable cane and I started taking O&M lessons, but I got to accept the cane. Yeah. And once I started going to school, yeah. when I returned to school, I was like, yeah, I love my cane now. I use a monocular mainly to identify like uh, street signs, mm -hmm. to identify maybe signs that are hanging up in the in the grocery store or to see things that are a little far and I want to read something that's maybe across the street that might 
give me useful information like, oh, the street is closed or uh, construction that I may not be able to see from where I'm standing. Uh, once we started going outdoors, yeah, we realized that it'd be beneficial if I had like a monocular and I thought about it. Mm -hmm. And when I did try one, I was very much so happy with this because yeah. it helped me a lot. Oh, good. <laughs> These glasses are, I use pretty much to see anything that's like at hand reach. Okay. I can, it kind of clears up things from afar. Yeah. Not too far, like maybe if you reach out your arm. Uh, I can use this just to kind of get like a general look at my phone. Sometimes I, if I'm trying to look at an image, mm -hmm. my tunnel vision isn't the best and I want to see the entire thing, I'll just put on my phone and put on these glasses and I have an idea of what the image is. And I also use this especially while I'm eating. That helps me distinguish food because let's say you have like spaghetti and all these other things that you have to use a fork or a spoon for. Yeah. It's very difficult when they're all in one plate for me to see <laughs> and I start to mix everything up and yeah. say I don't want to get this entire pair out of my pocket or out of my bag. Mm -hmm. I'll use my little magnifier just to kind of read maybe a line or two. And what's nice about this is I don't have to get really up close to it. I can if I want to kind of wear it like, but I can also keep it at a distance so that I don't have to pull out my phone and get really close up oh. to it. So yeah. it helps a lot. This is an iPhone 6s Plus. Uh -huh. I still think Apple should not have discontinued this phone. <laughs> I love this phone because yeah. it's, when I first got it, it was my first ever phone and it's the perfect size for me. Yeah. I had tried using regular uh -huh. iPhone sizes and I was like, they're too tiny because my hands are really big. Yeah. And I like, I was trying to type and I would never mm -hmm. make all these typos. Yeah. This phone is great. I love it. Some of the apps I use on this phone are, um, there's this one called Brighter Bigger, kind of like a CCTV oh, on your phone in a way, cool. like a little mini CCTV. You can change the contrast, you can magnify with it, you can turn on the flashlight through the phone, through it, you can pause images. Some of the other apps I use that are mainly transportation, I have Google Maps, the Compass, mm -hmm. I have Uber and Lyft, just in case. Yeah. I have Capital Metro for, for buses, and this one app called Move It that helps kind of track my bus stops and it'll notify me when I'm getting close to a stop so I don't have to constantly oh. look back at my phone, look like go to Google Maps, see where yeah. I am and where my destination is. I can just maybe set up my bus route, mm -hmm. know where my bus route is, mm -hmm. go to move it, set up notifications to know when I have to get off. Yeah. And my phone's on vibrate so it'll once I when I feel it vibrate, okay, I know. You know it's time? Yeah. If your students have low vision, it's, I would say, best to maybe set aside some time when you have it to really talk to them and observe how they perform in the classroom because it's very important to get an idea of what their vision is. Mm -hmm. You can learn a lot just through observing a low vision person and seeing how they work and what works best for them. Yeah. Try to suggest things to them. Don't force anything upon them. Talk to the student and let them know that you're there to provide them with what they need and you work your way from there. The popular perception of blindness often overlooks the many, many children and adults with low vision. Ray and Cindy remind us that we need to be aware of unique needs and be receptive to our students' advocacy on their own behalf. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time.
This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.